Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Calmetti here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in our series, Walking in the Miraculous with a Miracle God. And this is part three. Susan, I am so excited to talk about this today. Well, me too. I love talking about the Lord. And, um, you know, as the name of the show suggests we are into Jesus 24 7 and so you can't talk about Jesus all the time and not cover the fact that he's a miracle working God right that's right that's right and so in our past broadcast that we've done we've talked about how God uses miracles throughout the Bible to teach us lessons and he's not changing he's an unchanging God and he's still doing that today And so I think it's really fun to talk about miracles and the lessons that we learn from it and share it with others. We must share these things because God doesn't want to put a light under a bushel basket. Right, Dina? That's right. He wants us talking about it. He wants us talking about it on the rooftops. He wants us talking about it on the streets, on the highways and byways. He wants everybody to know about him because he loves us. Right, right. And we can learn so much about him through the interactions uh, that he has with other people, through the miraculous. We've mentioned in the past, we've talked about how does God show up in miracle ways? Well, you know, he, he operates through dreams and visions and prophetic words and just all sorts of works of wonders and uh, healings and just, you know, there's no limit to what God can do. One thing I want to express about this and will as we continue to study about God as a miracle working God is that really there's nothing out of his realm of control. I mean, people don't like to talk about the miraculous because the enemy doesn't want them talking about it. And why? He doesn't want people to understand that their God is way more powerful than they know or understand. And that would lead people to be more respectful of him and to understand that you don't mess with God, which so many people now use his name in vain and all sorts of terrible things. They have no reverence for God, most people. And then the other thing is people who are Christians, they do not see the, you know, the security they have through the Lord Jesus by being under his covering and that he is a God of protection. And if they understood how awesome he is and how, you know, he's the God that walked on water and parted the waters and and did all these amazing things, he's the same today and yesterday and tomorrow. And so there's no reason he can't work in our lives in the same way. And he does. He does. And so I love to talk about these things because we don't need to worry. The Bible says worry is a sin. And uh, the reason is, if you know God, then you don't need to worry. Right, Dina? That's right. He tells us not to worry. He feeds the birds in the air. He feeds, he waters the plants. He waters the trees. He does so many amazing things. And it's something else, because I can be a worry ward. Worry gets you nowhere. And it will make you sick mentally, physically, 
you know, you will, Mm -hmm. you can make yourself sick by worrying and it will never change one thing in your life. But instead, you know, um, and I'm preaching to myself here, when you give it to God, (laughs) um, you know, give it to the person who, who can actually change it. Because, you know, I, and I've even, you know, held back on calling certain people when I've been in situations. Yes, I will text them or email them to, to pray for me. But the only person that can really help us is Jesus. He's the only one that can do the impossible. Right, right. But he can't do the impossible. He can move a mountain. And we know this. And uh, we're learning more about him all the time. And, you know, the great thing about it is this is what he says about worry. He says to cast down imaginations, Dina. And that's what we as Christians today have to do more than ever, because the enemy has a way of putting evil imaginations in our mind. And we can we just go crazy with them. We sit around and we play with them and we think about them and we we stew over them and they're just imaginations and god says to cast them down and here is what i have to say about it the enemy is about torment that's that is his modus operandi and if he can cause you to torment over some crazy imagination that comes up in your mind which is being brought on to you by the enemy then he loves it he loves to torment people and drag them into the mud over something that will never happen has and has never happened is not going to. <laughs> That's true. That's and, true. But you know, I I I myself have caught myself thinking, you know, some thing, you know, some horrible thing, and then okay, you get it out and you start to think about it and process it, and what if this, what if that, and then I have to catch myself and I have to pull back. No, no, I'm not going for that. You know, I know it's, you know, because the enemy likes to lay the bait to trap you. And then that's where we have to go. You know, the Lord told me a twofold lesson. He said, cast the imagination down and then pray against it. And then uh, literally pray against it. Like if you get a thought in your mind that something might happen to somebody you love, you got to cast that down. And you got to say, no, no, I'm not buying that. And then pray against it. Lord, I pray that this will never happen to this person. And so this is how you have to be now, especially now, because it has uh, become a world that is truly evil on all uh, four sides, right? That's right. Yeah. I've even had, you know, the enemy will try and torment you with your enemies, too. And bring to memory things that they've done or said to you. And when that happens, I've even had dreams. And I just pray for them. And it is amazing what happens. Like once you pray for them, it's like it's out of your mind now. Because you've given it to God. And you don't think about it anymore. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, today um, I want to share an amazing thing that happened And this goes right along with what we've done. And for anybody that uh, didn't already listen to part one and part two of this series we're doing on the miraculous, you can go back and check this out because we're talking about miraculous events 
that God uses to teach us something. And we know this is the way God teaches because we don't have to go very far to look in the Bible and to see that some of the greatest teaching moments that God ever has in the Bible is through his miraculous um, events. That's right. And we can see that over and over. And uh, I think, you know, he uses those things to get our attention, for one thing, <laughs> and then to also show us who he is and that he's a God in charge and he is bigger than we could ever imagine. Um, so I want to share something that happened to me, and it was based on a scripture, and I'll let Dina put the scripture up there. It's from Leviticus 11.44 which says, uh, for I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so we can see that God has said in Scripture that we are to pursue holiness. And we also find in the New Testament scriptures that talk about without holiness no one will see the lord and so to be honest with you i would read this and i it would just drive me crazy okay you know just the idea of okay well i understood that god was holy i thought that was yes i get that god is holy i get that but the idea that any of us could pursue holiness to me seemed really far out like that was unreachable okay and it seemed very unreachable. And so I would talk to the Lord, Dina. I would go to him and I would say, you know, I really get that you want us to be holy, but it just seems like that's, that's unreachable. And, but I did know the scripture in the Bible that we talk about. It's, it's a promise in the Bible. And it says that blessed are they which do hunger and walk in the spirit. And it talks about thirsting after righteousness and those who do will be filled. And so I would I would I would quote the scripture to the Lord all the time, for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And I thought, well that's interesting. That's a promise related to the scripture. And it was exactly what I was challenging God that, oh, how is it possible that anybody could pursue righteousness? especially, you know, that we're in a fallen world. And so, but I did, I, I cling to the scripture, and I claimed that scripture, and do you know that one day, God gave me what I call an earth-shattering light bulb moment, after I had done a lot of thinking about the subject, and it was, it was absolutely just a moment of understanding, and that you can't give to yourself, by the way. And this happened to me. I can even remember where I was standing at the time. I was in my living room, and all of a sudden, it, it dawned on me that God is holy and pure 100% of the time. And so it's just like a needle on a compass that always points north. So if you are lost in a woods and you have a compass with a reliable needle, that always points to the north, you can find your way out of the forest. And so God is like that reliable compass needle that points north without fail. So it also occurred to me that in hell, 
there would be nobody or nowhere to turn to for complete truth. And there will be no truth in hell, no compass that always points north. And so even in this world today, there is less and less truth found among people in the world today. And so at that moment, I grasp that you cannot pursue that which you do not cherish. So then I realized what a limited commodity, truth, justice, righteousness, purity, and holiness is in this life. And it's actually completely void in hell. It does not even exist in hell. So suddenly I had this intense emotion about how significant God's holiness is, how important it is that he has always been and is always consistently pure and holy. And this truth hit me so intensely between my eyes that for days I would literally weep when I thought about how much I valued and cherished even God's righteousness and holiness. And you see, God has never been anything at any time but perfect, pure, just, righteous, good, sinless, and holy. He's always will be holy, and we can count on it. And so what else anywhere can you count on but that? Where can you ever turn to find someone who represents total, absolute justice, absolute truth, absolute purity, and absolute holiness except for God? And I mean, aren't we glad that he's the standard and that he never wavers? I mean, he doesn't even budge into the area of imperfection at any point. Amen and to that. it is so awesome that we can turn to him and that there's no faltering on his end ever. So he's a standard that we can always aspire to, look to. And the idea that he is a God who knows everything because he's omnipresent, that's a beautiful thing, too, because he's the perfect judge, Dina. He is absolutely, if there ever was a judge, we want, you know, David, when he, when he was having to go to God to be punished, and he, God gave him different punishments, and the punishment could have come from men, you know, against him and the people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And re- no, but rather than that, he he decided that he wanted to be punished by God because he knew God was totally just and that he would deal a punishment that was based on his truth and justice. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and God was actually merciful to him. Yes. Right. Like when the angel wanted to continue, you know, ask God, you know, should we continue with this? And God's basically, I'm paraphrasing. No, I, you know, it's enough. <laughs> so right. he was merciful right. even in his punishment. Right. And so that aspect of God shines through as well. And so um, it's wonderful that someday in the courts of heaven, the total justice will reign. And people who've been falsely accused of things uh, will be able to have their day in God's court because he knows all the details. He knows what went on behind closed doors. He knows what really happened. And boy, don't we want a God like this, Dina? Yes. That's, and that's something, you know, something else I've thought about is that 
You know, we don't see the whole picture, you guys, but God does. He knows why people do the things that they do, you know, um, why they say the things that they say. We don't understand it, but God does. And so that's why it's important to always go to him because he knows the story. Nobody else is going to know the entire story. And he even knows why you do and why you react to certain things the way you do, you know, so... And he also tells us that, you know, one day, you know, um, everything's going to come out into the open. There's not going to be any more darkness or shadows on anything. He's going to reveal it all. Right. Right. No shadows of turning. Yeah. And you have said a mouthful because the truth is when God gave me this understanding, which I had asked for, and he hit me so heavy with it. Uh, like I said, I was just overwhelmed by the reality of it. I weeped for quite a while every time I thought about what God was showing me. And the, the thing that he showed me was, you know, in our state, we are in a fallen world. We are fallen beings, okay? We are in a world that was cursed by our uh, ancestors all the way back to the garden, But, you know, here's the thing. We are given an opportunity to pursue holiness. And if that's the case, you cannot pursue something that you don't cherish. And that's the key. If it means nothing to you, then it's not something you're going to be motivated to pursue. Right, Dina? That's right. And so God had showed me that he first had to show me the significance of his holiness and why it's so very important that he's holy always holy always will be holy and we can count on it and then once we appreciate that then we can also ask to be made in the image of god in the image of jesus and to have our minds renewed and that is not something we can do for ourselves, but we can give God permission to come in and take over. And so that's very much leading to the next thing I want to talk about is surrendering to the will of the Father through the blood-bought salvation of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us, a horrible death. And he did this to pay for our sin, life of sin, and bring us back into relationship with the Father, which was lost in the Garden of Eden way back when, okay? So, you know, even Jesus, while in the earth, said he didn't come in his own will, uh, but in the will of he who sent him. And so the question is, how about you? So when the devil said to Adam and Eve that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would be as gods or like God. And that meant they would be in their own will, apart from the will of the Father. And so they succumbed to this evil. And they acquired the knowledge of doing their own good and evil, good that is not God's good, declaring in their hearts that they can do good apart from God. And they did not need God's will. And they were thrown out of the garden. And it took Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty of that decision, which led to that to a curse that was brought on to everyone 
and to bridge this gap between mankind and the Father. So today's church will have you admit you need salvation of Jesus, but never lead you to surrender your all to the will of the Father. But today you need to repent of your life of evil and acknowledge Jesus' sacrifice and to surrender to the will of the Father, rejecting your own personal will. And so I want to just read a, a quick list of some of the reasons that we want to be in the will of the Father. Okay, you will be received into heaven. The Bible says only those that are in the will of the Father go to heaven. So right out of the gate, that's significant. We need to be in the will of the Father to make it into heaven in the next life. The next one is you will receive the interpretations of the Bible through the eyes of God and not the interpretation of men. And so that's the difference between the church of the Lord, the bride, and the lukewarm church. The lukewarm church is not surrendered to the will of the Father, and therefore then their interpretations are of men, of the Bible which is always going to lead you astray without the uh, interpretations of the author, who is the Holy Spirit. Okay, the next one is you will be in God's plan for your life and not your own dead-end plan. If you don't make a surrender to the will of the Father, you're just going to continue on in your own plans, and those plans are going to lead you outside of the will of the Father, who is ultimately... uh, deciding whether you come into heaven or not and so you do not you know want to follow your own plans and also you will begin to see things through the eyes of god and not your own warped views and that has to do with the renewing of the mind that the bible talks about and when we come into the understanding of jesus's perspective on things and it's a whole different look There are two looks, and one is really pursuing the ways of the enemy through things like selfishness, unforgiveness, and all sorts of things that's going to lead you astray. And so another point is you will have a holy purpose and not a wicked purpose. So you can have two different purposes in life, and apart from the will of the Father, your purpose is going to be wicked because you're not in his will. And so everything you do is going to be about evil because you're not in God's will. You can't have it both ways. And so another one is your life is oriented to the plans of God and not against God. And see, that is definitely something you don't want to be is going against God about anything. And when you don't make that surrender to the Lord, all your decisions are going against God. And that is a very dangerous place to be. Okay, another reason is you will never have true peace apart from the will of God. You're always going to be in uh, operating in the will of the enemy, which is your own flesh. And the way the enemy operates is about torment. So you're going to be living your life from this point on in a state of torment because you're outside of the will of the Father. Okay, here's another one. In your own will, the good you do is evil. So it doesn't matter how many uh, things you do, which in your own mind you think is good, if you're outside of the will of the Father. 
it doesn't matter how many charities you've given to, it doesn't matter how many activities you've been involved in that you see, that you think in your heart is good. If you have not made a surrender to the will of the Father, when you face the Lord and you're outside of his will and he sees the things you did apart from his will, which you have classified in your mind as good, he's going to declare that those things are filthy rags to him. And so that is definitely a state that you don't want to be in. So another point is you will never find true peace while you are in your own will apart from God's will. And I think we mentioned that before, and so I'm saying it again. But apart from the will of the Father in your own will, you are stiff-necked, lost, blinded, and heading over an eternal cliff. And so if you've never heard your church talk about making a decision to surrender to the will of the Father, then that church is misled because there's more to salvation than just accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the beginning. Yes, he is our Savior. He did die for us to erase our sin debt and to pay that debt for us so that we didn't have to, but he bridged a way for us to go back to the will of the Father that was lost by our ancestors in the garden. Because when Adam and Eve were first with God, they would have been in his will. But they chose to go against his will and to go their own way and to operate in their own will, which they were tempted by the enemy to do it. And the enemy knew what he was doing. He knew that he was tempting them away from being in the will of the Father to follow their own will. And we see how that experiment failed uh, after, you know, they turned away from being one with the Father. And so we want to be one with the Father because what happens next is then the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we can invite the Holy Spirit to come in and live within us internally. And he does that. He will come in. I know for a fact that he, he comes in and he lives within us and he makes this body that we have his temple and so you know he doesn't really need a physical building he's got the temples which are the living saints the living beings who's given him complete and total access and how does that comply with the bible well the bible talks about two different types of vessels two different oil lamps there's an oil lamp that's partially filled and there's an oil lamp that's totally filled and those totally filled uh, virgins, they have the totally filled lamp. They are the ones that will walk through the door with Jesus when he returns for them as the groomsmen and the husbandmen. And those who do not have a full oil lamp, the reason they're in trouble is without the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you see, then there's room for other things to come in. And that's where we get in trouble. That's called leaven. And a little bit of leaven spoils a whole lump, the Bible says. And for those who can't quite grasp that, it's a little spoon of poop spoils a whole batch of brownies, okay? So uh, we don't want <laughs> we don't want poop in our brownies, okay? And so that's what happens when you do not get the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You leave things open for the enemy to come in to move into the balance of your, of your oil lamp. And it doesn't, you know, the Lord gave me a word on that one time, and, and he said, a little bowl, a little hole in the boat brings in enough water to bring down the whole boat. 
And so that's what God's talking about right there. So that's why we want to pursue holiness. Now, can we be perfect? We can only be perfected by the power of the Holy Spirit through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It is through his perfection that we can be perfected. Now, does that mean we don't have to do anything? No. (laughs) It means uh, our role as Christians just begin. We read the Bible, we study it, we're washed by the word, and we're disciples, so we need to be disciplined, and we need to move forward in holiness and that was why i had this struggle with the lord i was like i don't really understand this i don't know where this is all going i don't even get it but he showed it to me and what he showed me was amazing because what he was saying virtually was you can't pursue or desire something that you don't cherish and that was the lesson that i got from that so dina have you ever encountered the frustration that i did with you know, the whole concept of holiness as a Christian? Yes, I have. I have. Um, And I had one of those moments where I'm like, you know, how, how, how is it even possible to be holy? Like he calls us to be holy. And Uh something in and I was even questioning, you know, like, what is righteousness? Like, how can I even be righteous? And God showed me something that when he looks on us, He sees his son. So he sees Jesus. So he sees what he did on the cross for us. And that shed a lot of light for me. And it made it Uh easier for me to understand. Right. And that transaction that takes place where we surrender ourselves to the will of the Father, which is a privilege that Jesus paid for us. What happens is the power of the Holy Spirit comes into us and he's the one that leads us and teaches us and brings us into you know the ways of God and gives us the desire to want to be in those ways and that's why you know just like you said the scripture says that Jesus's yoke is easy and his burden is light and you know as long as you're trying to do it in your own flesh in a lukewarm state it's going to seem hard. It's going to seem impossible. Well, it is impossible, by the way, because you are trying to do it. You are in the flesh. You are lukewarm. And so you have to make that decision to move back into the will of the Father and give the Holy Spirit his rightful place back into your life, which this was lost in the garden uh, for mankind. But Jesus is so generously paid the price to bring us back to what was lost and believe me he was the only one that could pay the price because he was perfect and without his perfection then he couldn't pay the price for us because he'd have to pay the price for himself if he was in sin and so because he was sinless he was able to lay down and die for us, essentially, to pay for not his own sins, because he had none, but to pay for that sin which was not his own, and that was ours. So th- what, a, what a fantastic God we serve. There, You know, Dina, there's no other God on the whole planet that anybody worships that would do what Jesus Christ did for us. No, no, there isn't. He's the only true God. That's it. There's right. no one ever... No God will ever, ever uh, 
compete with Jesus. They're all false, fake gods and something else. No other god would die for us on a cross with that brutal death that he died. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that to the next um, encounter that I have with the Lord, kind of a good segue. You know, I had this inner struggle at one point, like, how do you die to self? Okay. And so one day I just point blank asked God a question that, you know, honestly, I didn't expect to get an answer to. But, you know, I asked him anyway, and I said, well, how do how do you die to yourself? How, how do you do that? And I told him, I don't I don't understand this. And, you know, I didn't expect to hear from him. But immediately, I mean, just immediately, the Holy Spirit flooded my mind with an answer. And he gave me information instantaneously. And so this was a message that I got. And it was that man cannot be glorified because man cannot save mankind. You know, whether it be celebrities, evangelists, CEOs, political leaders, presidents, whoever, because only Jesus can save mankind. So, in fact, by glorifying men, it only leads us to destruction when we blindly follow the ideas, views, and ways of men. And so when this happened, I thought, wow, that is truly profound, and I can understand that. It was so clear to me that man should not be glorified in any way because men cannot lead men to true life. And so, you see, that understanding for me made it easier to see the importance and significance of giving up self. And... We have to take a back seat to Jesus because none of us are going to save anybody, even no matter what goodness we do or what we declare or what position we have in life or what role we play in the world stage, whether a great leader of a country or a well-known commentator, you know, or a talk show host or what, it doesn't matter. The only person who can really lead us into life is Jesus Christ. And the scripture says, John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. And so Acts 4, 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. And so, boy, we totally need Jesus, and we need to, you know, take a back seat and stand down and let Jesus be Jesus. He is the one that is going to get us out of here, and nobody else. And so I think that is probably one of the best explanations I've ever had of what it means to die to yourself. Amen. Well, we're getting close to the close of our show and so i wanted to tell another miraculous event that i had and uh, some time ago dina i had a dream and in this dream there was a man who laid down next to it was a male lion he had a big mane who seemed calm and lazy and friendly so the man laid by the lion and he seemed so sure of himself like this lion was friendly and in my dream, I was so concerned about this man laying on top of this lion. And then the lion struck 
and a viciously changed personality, and he tore into the man in a frenzy. And I mean, blood was flying, and it was it was a horrible sight. And so the scripture that God brought to my mind was 1 Peter 5, 8. And it is, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a, comes as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And so I also went to the Lord for his interpretation on this dream. And these are the words he gave me. He says, daughter, here are my words. The lion is Satan. The man is anyone who is in the world. The man became comfortable in the world with the lion who seems docile. But then he strikes when you become most comfortable. And when he turns on you, he means to kill. So be vigilant in this late great hour. My children need to be watchful and focused on me, their Lord Jesus, at all times, because the lion lurks and means to destroy. And so, I mean, for me, that was a very sobering message that, you know, I wanted to get out to people. God gave me this dream and that interpretation, and it's significant. It's like, you know, people get really accustomed to the world they get comfortable in it, they go along with it, and, you know, before you know it, they'll be like Lot's wife, and they will have so much possession of the world, they can't let go when it's time to go. And the Lord, you know, beckons Lot's wife to leave, and she wouldn't do it. She looked back, and she got caught in, you know, the brimstone, the fire and brimstone, and turned to stone, and... The Lord brings that up even in the New Testament to not to remember Lot's wife. We're living in a world that's just full of influence from the world and distractions from the devil. And he wants to pull us down and drag us away from the one door out of here. And that's Jesus Christ. And so we really, really need to let go of the world and, you know, turn back to the Lord. Amen. And you know, you guys... um, We got to live in this world, you know, I get that. But every single thing in this world will disappear. It's all going to, it's this, this is all temporary. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's going to matter when you're face to face with Jesus Christ is your relationship with him. Does he know you? Because he said, many will come to him and many will say, Lord, Lord, You know, I did this for you. I prophesied. I healed. And then he will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So, yes, you know, we have to live in this world, but we want to hold on to it loosely and hold on to God tightly because that's all that's going to matter. Does he know you? So, Susan, with that said, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, really just thanks to everybody for showing up and uh, being part of what we're trying to do here and to share the messages. But also, we ask you to go back to our archive of videos. We've got a lot of timeless messages um, that we invite you, if you're just joining us, to go back and check it out. Uh, We've got a whole series on the Song of Solomon and the Book of Revelation and a lot of other stuff that uh, would be pertinent today. So we ask that you check out our archive. Yeah, go and uh, take a walk in the playlist, you guys. We've got 
quite a few different playlists where um, the series are put together so that you don't have to go searching for them. Also, come and visit us on Anchor, Google, Spotify, and Apple, where you can get uh, podcasts of these videos. And please do leave your comments below this video. We love hearing from you and reading your comments and getting your thoughts. So again, thank you, Susan. Thank you, everybody, for watching. And stay tuned. We have more videos coming up soon. God bless everyone.